Are you confused about real food and what's healthy and good for the planet? Do you need the facts about local, organic, and sustainable food? Well, get ready to change the way you eat. Get ready for The Appropriate Omnivore with Aaron Zober. Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Appropriate Omnivore. I'm your host, Aaron Zober, covering lifestyles in the world of real food. Ever since I was a kid, I've loved beef jerky. I still love it. But of course, now the jerky I consume is sustainably sourced from humanely treated animals. Beef jerky is great, but I'm not limited to snacking on just that. I like getting a diverse range of different meats and poultries. My guest today is part of the ever-growing world of jerkies from different animals. Prabhul Chaudhry is the founder and CEO of Brave Good Kind, which makes delicious chicken bites and chicken bars. Prabhul, welcome to the program. Uh, thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. And this is one of my favorite topics to talk jerky, better for you jerky, sustainable jerky. So I'm looking forward to our discussion. Absolutely. And I know you have a lot going on. You were at the Natural Products Expo West not too long ago. So I'm sure you're dealing with a lot of new buyers and things like that. So I appreciate that you could take the time out and be here on this podcast. Of course, we consider you as a connoisseur of all things meat. So it's a pleasure to have this conversation and hopefully can really dive into some of the key things that are happening in the food systems today. Oh, definitely. There's a lot to get into. So let's start it all out by you talking about what made you create Brave Good Kind in the first place. Of course. No, thank you. And I think it's a very interesting background that led me to this point. My daughter was born a few years back and I started getting into more consciously on looking at the foods. What should I feed her? What should I feed myself as a family? What should we be eating? And obviously we are in a time where we are really focused on healthy eating. And I looked at the grocery and the mass aisles and I started to think through that there's a lot of innovation happening. And I started trying different kinds of healthy foods. Healthy foods or snacks in particular, most of them, especially the snacks I'm talking about, the shelf-stable snacks, most of them really don't taste good. And I started thinking for me to get that into my behavior, I am looking for deliciousness. So I started looking at some category data, industry data, and that's what happens when you have a CPG background. I quickly realized that a lot of people try healthy snacks. But because it doesn't taste delicious, if you will, or doesn't taste as good, they get back to eating snacks that are full of carbs and sugar. And as you can look at the spending of the wallet by the consumers, you'll see that 80 to 85% of the spending still goes at the carbs as well as the high sugar snacks. The rest is healthy snacks. So I started thinking that is there a way to bring both healthy and delicious together? So I looked, started looking at different categories and I came upon jerky and I thought, that's great. Jerky is good protein-led snack, all good stuff, basically protein. That's amazing. I tried jerky. I did not like it. It was dehydrated. It was very hard to chew. I started to then roam around in grocery stores trying to look at jerky, trying to observe people as they're looking at and I soon realized that jerky, 90, 95% of the volume from jerky goes through, they're all beef, which is like a higher cholesterol profile. Beef is also not very sustainable in terms of greenhouse gas emissions. And I really thought through is why is just the beef jerky is all directed towards men? It caters to 
men, it's a very masculine category. It's all about sash, wash, and lumberjacks. And I had these observations and I created them into some hypotheses and I got really interested. So I raised some money. I started speaking to women. I did a very methodical research across the nation, the focus groups and all. And I spoke to women, a lot of women across the nation and soon came up with this unmet need where women are looking for really tender protein-based snack, which doesn't exist. So jerky, as I said, really speaks to masculine. I came up with this hypothesis saying, what if we develop tender, delicious jerky that's made of chicken? Why chicken? Because everybody knows chicken. There's a familiarity around chicken. It has a better cholesterol profile. It's more sustainable than beef. And I saw there were very little chicken in the jerky aisle. And most of the chicken was just there, just to be there. Nobody focused on that. And that day, I decided to launch chicken-based jerky, specifically focused on women. Later on, we learned that kids also loved our product. So we expanded our target audience. So raised more money, went to formulation finally, and brought it to market in March of 2021. So just in short, it was a journey where there were some observations. We tested those observations, but we absolutely tried to build a product based on the unmet need that we were trying to serve. So today, Brave Good Kind is the only brand focused on chicken. We're the only brand focused on women and kids, and we make one of the only delicious and the tendermost jerky in the marketplace. And again, you know, I encourage all your listeners to try it if they don't believe me. I think it's interesting that there weren't any chicken jerkies before because chicken actually is the most popular protein in this country. Were you surprised that there weren't any chicken jerkies? I was. And when I say there were very little to no chicken, there were some chicken jerky. Like there are brands like Epic and there were some other brands that do have chicken and New Primal has come with chicken. But their mainstay brand and all their resources, innovation and dollars go to their beef jerky, which drives the volume. And that is what was surprising to me. Like top 10, top 15 SKUs in the whole category were all beef. So I think if we need to go and look back at history of jerky to understand that, with my limited knowledge, what I have understood is when you think about jerky, a lot of time it brings negative connotations. For long, jerky was a gas station brand, which was really popular with uh, construction workers and uh, truckers. Jerky also had this bad reputation of being greasy and just subpar kind of a food. Last decade or so, there was an innovation that started coming in where jerky predominantly moved from being just a convenience store snack to coming to main aisles of grocery and mass, although the volume still flows through the convenience category. So I don't know why nobody tried chicken, but in my experience, chicken is more popular, but chicken is a little harder because chicken doesn't dehydrate so well like a beef would. So when we started to make our product, we had to create a proprietary technology to regulate the water activity. And that's what makes Rinse so differentiated in the category. That's the reason why we were able to create a very tender and moist kind of a product, which is easy to bite. I actually tell people, especially in the shows, is that, hey, you should try our product. It'll melt in your mouth. Or, hey, try this jerky now. Your dentist will thank you because you don't have to just have your teeth fell off while trying to bite through a dehydrated jerky. So it, I don't have the answer to why there's not a lot of chicken but that's the fact, and that's what we are trying to change. America away from beef towards more chicken-based snacks. I like how you refer that beef jerky had been seen as gas station food. What I've noticed now is 
even the gas stations and the convenience stores are starting to realize the importance of natural jerkies in there. And I'm seeing some which is sold. Have you noticed that, that even the conventional stores and not just people in the natural foods, natural CPG world, but people everywhere are realizing the importance of sustainably sourced meat and poultry snacks? Of course. And I think that is more to do with what consumers are demanding. As you go in a stage where millennials have more and more spending power, they are demanding more sustainability. They're demanding companies to be more sustainable. You know, what has changed now? When I was a young, if your parents take to McDonald's, you will love it. I have nothing against McDonald's, but I have kids and I really go to McDonald's. I'm more about wholesome foods, protein first foods. And I think that has really changed with our generation where they're really looking at the labels. They're really looking at what's in their food. And so all this change that you're talking about, even at the conventional and convenience channels, I think it's a byproduct of what consumers really want. And that's why you have really seen a rise of all natural antibiotic free meats. You've seen the rise of zero sugar, so on and so forth. So it's keeping up with the trend, but that's what the consumers want. And I think it's now point of parity. At one point in time, it was a point of differentiation for a lot of brands. But now today, even to be on the shelf, you have to have at least some of the attributes. Otherwise, consumers will not even bring you to their consideration set. You've talked about the importance of sustainability. When you source your ingredients, what do you look for in farms to partner with? Yeah, that's a great question. And that's where also there's a lot of transformation happening in America around the world. But if you just talk about America, for long, we went into this industrial farming and industrial model of producing meats, which still exists today. And I think what has really changed it now you're very cognizant in terms of who your suppliers are, what is their reputation. There's a lot of regenerative agriculture that is starting to happen. Again, it's not widespread right now because scaling up in an economical way still isn't possible. It takes a lot of effort and it takes a lot of thought process and a lot of investment to get there. But I think when we think about our suppliers, we try to get to suppliers which are reputable, which treat their animals well, open range, you know, have also the way they feed these animals are much more kindness instead of just giving them anything or standard food. They're more, our chickens are on veggie diet, if you will. So are we there where we want to be? Absolutely not. We have made progress, but it's also is a byproduct of systems that are out there. But our continuous vision is to get to a point where we do have sustainable sources and materials that really drives our business. And we are working towards that. One thing I will say is the cost imperative to run a business it doesn't always go well with your wish list. So my wish list is to go get to organic chicken as part of our offering. It's very cost prohibitive right now. But that doesn't mean that our vision has changed. It's just we are trying to do the best we can right now to support our business, to grow our small business. But at the same time, our long-term goal is to get to that point where we can really bring in more sustainability in our choices, if that makes sense. That does make sense. And I have seen that with many startups. It's a thing that I think a lot of people need to understand that a lot of these startups, they want to be as natural as possible. But at the beginning, they can't be fully organic because it's about being able to do it at a decent cost and be able to sell it stores nationwide. So could you see yourself eventually being regenerative? At some point, yes. Again, the cost has to work. 
But just going back to the last comment that I made, I think pandemic also changed a lot of things. One thing that we are proud of is that we built our company through the pandemic where everything was breaking down supply chain, meat inflation, everything hit us at one point. So coming out of pandemic, as things start to normalize a little bit again, again, that's a big if. Hopefully no more new variants come in. But that's the hope to you know continue to figure out a way to get to the attributes, get to the sources that will make us more and more sustainable. And again, cost is a big driver of it. We saw a high cost increase across the board from materials to the cost of the chicken and everything. And I think that makes it much more, more difficult. But Long term, I definitely want to be choiceful to partner at sources which are sustainable, hopefully regenerative, hopefully organic. And so that's the goal and we're working towards it, but it's a few years away as we see right now. And I'll give you an example. When I say sustainable sources and materials, sources is where you procure your meat. We are right now doing a shelf test on a category first biodegradable packaging. So one of the biggest thing that worries me with the snack is that you eat the snack and you throw the packaging in the landfill, right? So there's a tons and tons of plastic and it's absolutely unsustainable. I think what our company is trying to do is find ways to do things in a more sustainable way. We looked at recyclable, we looked at compostable, but we finally agreed to go. So all, both of two that I described require a lot of consumer intervention. It makes consumers do work, which obviously is not preferable. So we logged on to getting a biodegradable packaging. We are in a one-year self-test right now just to make sure that it has the right barrier properties to make our product fresh and safe. And if all goes well next year, I think we would be the first in the category to launch a delicious jerky in a biodegradable packaging. So that's what I meant by we want to be responsible both at a source level as well as materials level. So get the right meat from the right farms, which are doing the things right, but at the same time, use materials which will not harm the planet and which will hopefully inspire other brands to follow suit and be more sustainable. I'm seeing that a lot with products in many different areas of the natural CPG world that they have a sustainable packaging too. I've seen that with so many of the guests I've interviewed that that seems to be something which is just as important to customers as where the food is sourced. What other things do you think are important to customers when looking for natural products? So again, I think that's a holy grail of being successful and not being successful. I think from my vantage point, I think it all starts with the product. The product has to be of the highest quality. It has to be delicious. That is only when you can get more and more repeat purchase. There are a lot of brands that launch this fancy and very differentiated products and products with some of the ingredients that you've never heard about them, which is great. I applaud them. But unless consumers enjoy those products, can go to a point where they can buy those products easily, repeat purchase will not come. And I think that's something that's very important for any business to build on. So for, for me, everything starts with a world-class product, not only thinking about products that you have right now, but what other future platforms you can create and are working on. So product is number one and it has to be delicious. It has to have the right attributes, like I said, which consumers expect like zero sugar or low sugar. It has to be high in protein. That's the reason to be for jerky to exist in the first place and all natural ingredients, so on and so forth. So product attributes also is important. Price point becomes really important for them to decide on what they want to buy because we live in an economic cycle where we are seeing 
increase in inflation, although consumer spending is coming back after the pandemic, I think we still have to be priced right on the shelf for folks to consider us. And then your brand's purpose is really, really important to consumers. So today's consumer is completely immersed in what a brand stands for. They are very quick to call out any bullshit. So brand's purpose becomes really important. So a little bit about Brave Good Kind. A Brave Good Kind was inspired to serve millennial women women in general, to inspire them, encourage them to live their best life. The name Brave Good Kind was inspired by my then five-year-old daughter. And these are the values I wanted my daughter to have in this crazy world we live in. So I think when I combined this, our purpose was very easy for us to say, okay, you know, we exist to fuel women and we'll do everything possible to give women a platform. So that really resonates the name and our purpose, what we try to do with our purpose and whatever capacity we can as a startup, our consumers really gravitate towards that. So if I just recap, the product, product attributes, the pricing, the brand's purpose are the other things that consumers really look at. Who you are as a brand, do you have values that a consumers identify with or your core consumers identify with is particularly very important. I like how you touch upon the pandemic and I know that Brave Good Kind does have an internet presence with products they can order online. How much do internet sales make up of Brave Good Kind's business? Yeah, so again, in my career, I've worked with both on the retail side and DTC side, e-commerce side. So it absolutely depends on the category. Food is something where retail disproportionately has a huge sway over where majority of the sales will lay. DTC for now is close to like around 8% for us, even though DTC is the first place we went, DTC and Amazon, where we went first before we started rolling out in retail stores. So I would say that DTC is a great avenue to grow. I'm not sure, at least in the category we are, that should be prioritized over retail. And especially after iOS 14, what Apple did, I think it has become really expensive to really drive traffic to DTC and convert them. So what I'm saying is, after the iOS 14 update from Apple, your efficiency of your Facebook ads and Instagram ads have come down, which means your customer acquisition cost has really gone through the roof. So building just on DTC is impossible. So we never wanted to just focus on DTC, but as we have seen, the retail really drives most of our volume compared to DTC. Still, Amazon and our own website as a big source of growth for us. But I just think that in the near future, they can go as high as 15 to 20%. And most of our volume would be driven at shelf in retail. So right now, Bravewood Kind is across 5,000 stores. And hopefully we'll be across more than 10,000 stores by the end of the year. But that's where our growth lies. While we want to serve consumers wherever they raise their hand. And there's a lot of cross-pollination also happening. Sometimes people buy us in retail stores and then they'll go and order on Amazon, subscribe and save. So it just depends where the consumer raises their hand, where they want to try it and where they want to buy it and where their moment of need is. So we want to be omnipresent and give consumers an option to raise their hand and have the ability to get our product as soon as possible whatever channel they desire. The Natural Products Expo West every year kicks off with the State of Natural Products presentation. And one of the big points at this year's one is that during the pandemic, a lot of people shopped online, but since then it's gone back to stores. So online shopping to me seems kind of like Zoom or Peloton where it can be very popular during a pandemic, but ultimately 
people still want to shop in the physical brick and mortar retail spaces. Is that what you've seen too of more people buy a product during the pandemic, but once that's over, people go back to the physical stores? So I don't want to discount the impact of technology in growing e-commerce. I think e-commerce will continue to grow. I think what we saw in the pandemic was that it really disproportionately grew through the roof. So it just went as high as like 30, 40% because people were not willing to go out. And that's why they banked on e-commerce to serve their needs. It has normalized. It has come down. In my view, e-commerce would still be 15 to 20% of your sale if done right, obviously. But again, as I said, consumers are are increasingly tapping into new technologies, trying new things. They are customers of GoPath. They're customers of Instacart. So there are a lot of technologies, a lot of ways in which consumers are buying today. And I am of the strong belief that cross-pollination is the future, where it's not that you'll find a certain consumer in a certain channel. I think it depends on a point of need and the fastest way to fulfill that need. So the brands have to be there across the board to make sure that they can serve their consumers. So I definitely think that after pandemic, the e-commerce has come down, but it's normalized. It is 15 to 20% of the category right now. And it, again, it differs from a category to category. That's where the food is. But there are some other categories where e-commerce is still going strong. People still want to buy through e-commerce and it'll continue to see that trend. But I think it would be folly for any brand to believe that they have to select one channel or another, which some brands tend to do. I think you have to be present for your consumers to choose and give them the convenience to choose whatever it is they want to do. So, for example, I'm a consumer. I live in Boston. I need my brave, good, kind chicken bite. And I have a neighborhood store that's just a five minutes walk. So I'll just go and walk and get it whenever I want it or whenever I'm coming back home from work or something like that. Now, I go to a conference in Dallas or I go to conference in California or some place where the local store doesn't have my product, but I really, really I'm craving that product. I can just go to Instacart or, you know, just get Amazon and get a same day or a second day delivery. So, again, as I said, as a brand, you have to be there to service a consumer at a point of need. So that's why it's not about a choice, but it's about just being there and serving your channels effectively and well. I would agree that it's important to focus on both because there are people that do like to order online. And I think it's also good to have an internet presence in place should another pandemic occur. And then you'll need to have this. A lot of companies were in a bit of trouble once the pandemic hit and people weren't going to stores and they didn't have any way of selling their products online. So let's get into now the different types of flavors of Brave Good Kind. Tell us about them. Yeah, so when we launch a product, and that's still the case, we launch with three flavors, original teriyaki and hot honey. Original and teriyaki is a kind of a commonplace in the jerky category. This is what consumers know. 80% of the category volume are almost these two flavors. And then we wanted to launch something which is very differentiated. And every brand has the fancy flavor that they will launch. And our was hot honey, which was an amalgamation of habanero and premium honey. So these are the three flavors we launched. But when we were doing product formulations, we had a few other flavors as well that you can sometimes see commonplace other brands are doing it. We wanted to just 
put a stake in the ground and create something which is more exciting, especially for women. So when we did our research, we also did product research. We did a lot of validation in terms of what flavor was really resonating with our core millennial women. And I think hot honey came on top of it. And that's why we just launched three flavors. There's not a lot of space in the jerky category. That's why we didn't want to launch more than three at that time. Now we are working on a very exciting North African slash Mediterranean flavor. And there's a lot of innovative flavors that are in the pipeline. How we launch it, when we launch it, it all depends on where we are. Are we using that new flavor as a strategic vehicle to enter a new account or a retailer? Or that's something that we want to supplement. But at any point in time, we will try not to have more than three in a retailer account because I just don't think having from a skews productivity perspective, more than three in this category really works. Could you see yourself expanding into other products outside of chicken snacks? Not in the foreseeable future. I think chicken gives us a clear point of differentiation with the resources we have. We wanted to really focus on chicken. In a world of beef jerky, riding chicken really helps. Even if you look at latest Mulo data for the category, I think chicken jerky is actually driving growth where the jerky has been flat mostly. So I think chicken would continue to be a number one focus. We have some product trials or product formulation that we're working on, which are plant-based. If it would be the real meat, as now people call it, in the world of plant-based meat, I think we would be focused on chicken as a platform. We can add new things to the platform. And if we go to plant-based, it would be the only deviation for not using chicken. Otherwise, we are here representing and being focused on chicken. As you're currently focused on just chicken and not plant-based meats, how do you find it with so many companies now making plant-based meats? So when you say plant-based meat is different than how I think about plant-based formulation. So from a meat perspective, we will always stick to chicken for now. Chicken would be a focus because that's a differentiation for us. When I said that we have some plant-based formulation, that's just more to do with saying, hey, for people who don't eat, who are vegan or who are vegetarians, I'm trying to give you another options of having a brave, good kind of deliciousness, which will be a high protein snack. So I think one of the folly that a lot of plant-based meats have done is that they have positioning themselves as saying, hey, we look like, we taste like meat, but we are not meat. I don't think that's a sound strategy in my opinion. I think I want to reframe the discussion to saying, hey, if you like meat, here's your chicken that you can really enjoy. It's delicious. It's juicy. And hey, if you don't eat chicken, here's your avenue to have a high protein snack. So for example, if I create something with pea protein, I would not claim to say, hey, it feels and looks and tastes like chicken. I would just say this is a high protein snack for people who don't eat meat. And I think that's where my opinion is starkly different from other brands, what they try to do. They're trying to say, hey, don't eat meat because now you can get the feeling of eating meat to plant-based. And I just don't think that's the right way to do it because consumers will call them out. There's a huge nutritional debate right now happening where Beyond Burgers and things that they're claiming and that need not be true. I can totally get behind what you're saying because I don't see the fake meat as a sustainable or healthy product. I get it for people that don't want to eat animals that miss the taste. They work for that, but you really can't promote it in terms of environmental or nutrition benefits. And we are starting to see that now that we're actually seeing less of these fake meats because that's been discovered. I know there was big news about what actually went into Beyond Meat. And I was talking to 
some people that work at Nielsen at the research, what they found is that these fake meats, they haven't been working because a lot of people who are vegetarian and vegan, they're also concerned with health. So they've gone back to eating just real vegetables, which I think would benefit what you're working on. And then people that do eat meat, they've gone to eating sustainably sourced meat, like what you're offering. A hundred percent. And I think that's where we want to be. We want to be a kind of a high protein snack option for women and families. If you eat meat, you have our offering as an option, which we have your delicious tender chicken. And then if you don't eat meat, we want to get to a point where we can offer you an alternate, but we don't want to mimic saying, hey, it tastes and feels like meat. We'll just give it on its merits saying, hey, here's a plant-based protein option for you with the same promise of deliciousness that Bravefoot kind offers. So that's where we are. Now things will get interesting in a decade when the industry will be able to scale lab meat it's basically a meat that you can grow in a lab which basically is tissue reproduction so it will be actual meat now how conscious people would be to accept that or how ethical that would be that's a debate for another time but lab meat will definitely be more disruptive than where plant-based is right now and then you might be aware of that insects is a huge source of protein it's a very low cost of protein. If brand like ours or any other brand is able to create a product that is made from insects, but is something that there's not a yuck factor or somebody that consumers can adapt to, that would bring in another disruption. So when I started, and I still believe Brave Good Kind is a very protein agnostic organization. So right now we have chicken, but at some point in time, we might experiment with lab meat when the stage comes in, in a decade or so, or we can get into some formulation made from insects, if we can overcome consumer hesitancy to eat that. So there are options. And again, as I said, by 2050, we'll be 10 billion people on this planet. Our current food systems will not support everybody. So food access will become really important. So we want to play a role in terms of creating high protein products that can really help feed people and contribute in creating new food systems in the world. That's our long-term goal. But we are open to other ideas. We just don't want to go to beef and other meats that generally people think about. We are more progressive in terms of thinking, okay, after chicken, if we have to expand, can we do insects? Can we do something else? Depending on where the technology is at that point in time, what the innovations are there. You seem like one that I think could come up with a way to make insects into a good snack. Are you seeing insects made into a similar jerky type of product like you have with your chicken? It's very difficult to answer because we've just started very, very early deliberations looking into that. But what I would say is jerky or any other form, I think we need to figure out a way to make sure that consumers don't see that as a barrier. So form will absolutely get determined based on the presentation of the snack. If you think about saying I'm eating insect, your instant reaction would be, I don't want to eat insect. But if you looked into other countries, a lot of countries, specifically in Asia, that eat insects. And I think we need to get to a point where from a presentation, from the texture, from the profile, we have to do more work to really understand what appeals to an American consumer. I can definitely see it coming to jerky. Maybe it's coming to a jerky in a way where it's mixed with something else so that it's made more palatable. But there's a certain amount of consumer education that you have to do if you were to launch that so that people can really understand the pros and the cons of having it, because they might have some apprehension saying, I don't want to eat an insect. But then if you educate them saying, here's the advantages, here's how it means. A lot of food access issues that we have in this country stems from the fact that if you're a lower income group, 
McDonald's or Burger King is more accessible to you than healthy. So think about how many low-income people will go to McDonald's versus going to Sweet Greens, for example, which claims to be very healthy. There's a stark difference from a pricing perspective. So if the insect-based food can bring down pricing, can provide you with health benefits, view of that option would change. And I think that's where more work needs to be done. As we've talked about, the meat snack industry has been dominated by beef. Do you see chicken products continuing to grow in presence? Absolutely. We have grown a lot. We are now in 5,000 stores and there are more and more consumers who are resonating towards our brand. We have a community of 20,000 aficionados on TikTok alone who love our product. So as the growth in the category is done by brands like ours and other brands that chicken is absolutely growing. And when we talk to people, we talk to consumers in trade shows or anywhere else or sampling, people stop in their track. Chicken jerky? Real chicken jerky? I've never heard about it. Sometimes people always think that chicken jerky is only for dogs, for example. So this idea that somebody has a chicken jerky is quite novel, and which was very surprising to me because people know chicken really, really well. For thousands of years, we've eaten chicken as humans. And just thinking about chicken jerky, people stop in their track and said, I've never heard about chicken jerky. Is it a real jerky? Is it a real chicken jerky? So I think that kind of an excitement really tells me that there's a huge opportunity for chicken. And as you have seen in the industry, there's a lot of conversation on benefits of having beef. I think chicken is a refuge where people will love to be, where they want to continue to enjoy real meat, but at the same time, feel good and feel responsible about their choices. So like I said, one of the things I go and really talk to the consumers and the retailers alike is the fact that saying, hey, one of our goal is to really move America away from beef to chicken. And that's an incredible jump in sustainability. Because a lot of time people would talk, tell me and saying, okay, how are you being sustainable? You're still animal-based meat source. And I tell them that, yes, we are animal meat source because humans, this is their food. They would eat food. But one of the things that we are doing to change the paradigm is encouraging people to move from beef to chicken. If you look at all the research, beef produces 90% more greenhouse emissions than chicken. So chicken is leaner protein choice. Chicken is more sustainable. And most of the people are familiar with chicken. They love chicken. Jerky is certainly one of the most popular types of meat snacks. There are also the meat snack sticks. Have you ever looked at making a chicken snack stick? Oh, that's a great uh, kind of a recent discussion I've been having with my investors. A stick is something that a lot of new brands, powerhouses like Chomps and New Primal who are really doubling down on sticks. And stick definitely is popular in the category because it's very convenient. Portion control, easy in, easy out. I'm not a big fan of stick from a texture perspective because you need to have casing to create that stick. But at the same time, I just feel stick is very commoditized. For me to launch a stick and differentiate stick, it will need incredible resources. And from a business perspective, it doesn't make sense to me. So when I look at sticks, there are some chicken sticks as well. I have had them. I particularly don't enjoy them. So what I really want to do is really focus on bites as a shareable, as a kind of a bite-sized kind of a snack. And we then also have bars, which are very, very unique. Same formulation, but something that people really enjoy. So we have thought about sticks. At this point in time, we have no intention to going into sticks. We want to create our own niche. And yeah, that's where we are. Right. I love the bars because that does have a different texture than both the jerky and the sticks. And we have a few bars, but of course, 
like you said, not so many with chicken particularly or companies that focus exclusively on chicken. Now, chicken certainly is the most popular protein. It's the most popular type of poultry, but turkey is also a popular poultry. Have you ever looked into making turkey products? We have not, again, and we want to really be focused on chicken because that's where we have a clear differentiation. We have not seen turkey. We have never experimented with from a formulation standpoint with turkey. But again, if I look at the category, you have more turkey jerkies than even a chicken jerky. So we really wanted to double down on a chicken. That was a key part of our strategy. But there's another thing that I will tell you, which I think is very interesting is if you look at the whole jerky category, including chicken and including Slim Jim, we are talking about three billion-ish kind of a category size, which is like one-fifth or one-sixth of the entire bar category. So what I'm trying to say is jerkies are really popular, meat snacks are really popular, but they're a very small category size compared to some other products. And the reason for that is it appeals to a very small set of people. Like I said, it's mostly masculine. What we really want to position ourselves is saying, yeah, we are jerky if you look at it, but brave good kind is actually should be your snack of choice because it's healthy and it's delicious. It's keep you full. So our point of view in the category is that we're not a jerky product. We at Brave Good Kind are offering a better snacking option. So we went to USDA and even got claims again saying we have 30% less sugar than your granola bar. We have 70% less fat than your bag of potato chips. So what we are telling families and women in particular is when you are hungry, you need to have our product because that's the right snack to have. It's delicious, it's healthy than any other choice you have. So in reality, I don't want to compete against jerky. I'm, I'm telling retailers this all the time that if your consumers like Jack Links or any other jerky, great. Our data has shown that we'll be an incremental purchase. I want to get to American Heart and American Houses where when you are hungry, I would want Americans to look at our product for its benefit and what it stands for rather than choosing something that has high carb and high sugar. So my battle is not against other jerkies. In reality, my battle is against products that have either sugar or carbs. That's what we stand for. And that's where we're trying to really grow the category. We are looked at jerky, but we want to be the snack of choice for American families. That's an important point to make because a lot of snacks are carb-based and high in sugars. What other health benefits would you say there are to choosing Brave Good Kind as a snack option. So in our current portfolio, Brave Good Kind is something that has high protein. There is low sugar. We have no nitrates, nitrites. We have no MSG. So basically what I'm trying to say is we are all natural, gluten-free, high protein product with no BS. And I think that's who we are. We are about a few months away from launching our first zero sugar, which we are super excited about because there's a certain subset of people who really gave us this feedback that they would love to have something which is delicious but has no sugar and we are finally able to achieve that. A lot of zero sugar doesn't taste well, but the, our new Mediterranean zero sugar is an incredible innovation and we just did some blind testing at the Expo West. I don't know if you got a chance to try that, but we got an overwhelmingly positive response and we are moving forward in terms of preparation to launch it in market and really create a big splash. I'm seeing a growth in the zero sugar jerky because, yes, jerky typically has some amount of sugar in it. A lot of times it is a low amount, yet it's still a sum, and if you snack on a lot, it can build up. I know for me that's the reason why 
I would often go to the sticks versus the jerky. So I think that that's great that you're now working on a zero sugar. I would certainly like to see more of that. So you have lots of great products already on the market, as well as these new ones that you're developing. If people want to find Brave Good Kind, where can they go? A lot of places. We sell Brave Good Kind, as I said, across 5,000 stores, and we are growing. You can prominently find us in CVS. We are in around 400-ish Walmarts. We are nationally distributed at Sprouts. And then we are at a lot of regions, chains, Bristol Farms, Jewel Oscars. So a lot of places. If you go to our chickenbites.com, which is our website, there's a store locator. You can definitely find a store near you. If you prefer to buy us online, you can buy us from our website, which is, again, www.chickenbites.com. And we are also available on Amazon, where we are doing really, really well. We have a huge amount of repeat purchase. Once people try our product, they just fall in love. So I encourage all your listeners to just try it. And for a limited time, if they message us on Instagram or TikTok and they refer that they heard you on your podcast, we'll send them pre-samples to try. Wonderful. Well, we're just about out of time. But before we go, give the listeners the address of your website again, as well as any information you want to give about social media sites. Of course. So our website is www.chickenbites.com. And that's where you can get some great deals and great information about our product. We have everything from nutritional profile to the reason why we launched Brave Good Kind from a purpose perspective. And then we are on all major social platforms. There is a lot of partnerships that we do with a lot of consumers who actually help us with different ways they use jerky. We've seen consumers put videos on our jerky over our bites over pizza, on salad, on charcuterie boards. So there are a lot of co-creation we do with our consumers. So if you just look up Brave Good Kind, whether it's TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, you'll find us. We really encourage you to engage with us. We have some exciting content that we do, and we look forward to continuing to learn from our consumers, continue to serve them with delicious, nutritious snacks, and try to change how America snacks. Prabal, so much great information. I've loved learning more about the background of Brave Good Kind. Thank you so much for coming on the program. Of course. I really appreciate all your thoughtful questions, and thanks for having me. Pleasure to have you on. That's all for this week of The Appropriate Omnivore. New episodes of the show are released every Wednesday. Follow me on social media for more information on the next episode. And to make sure you never miss any of my podcasts, go subscribe to The Appropriate Omnivore on your favorite podcast site or app. You can also listen to all of my podcasts on my website, appropriateomnivore.com. There you can find recipes from the guests I interview, plus all of my articles covering lifestyles in the world of real food. Until next time, my pantry is officially closed. <laughs>